Our second reading is from the Gospel of St. John, the 14th chapter, and you'll find it printed in your bulletin insert if you'd like to follow along. It is part of Jesus' farewell discourse to his disciples, so it starts in the middle of that. Jesus answered him, Those who love me will keep my word, and my Abba will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but is from the one who sent me. I have said these things to you while I am still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Abba will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away, and I am coming to you. If you loved me, you would rejoice that I am going to the Abba, because the Abba is greater than I. And now I have told you this before it occurs, so that when it does occur, you may believe. Here ends our reading. On Being is a public radio conversation and podcast with Krista Tippett. She invites an array of guests, theologians, poets, actors, artists of all kinds, and with them, she explores questions at the center of what it means to be human and how we want to live. These are questions we also circle around here in this community each week. In one of those conversations, Krista Tippett spoke with banjo players Bela Fleck and Abigail Washburn. While they have become renowned banjo players, neither of them grew up surrounded by banjo and bluegrass. Both of them grew up in the North. Abigail's come-to-God moment in the folk music world was listening to an LP of Doc Watson singing Shady Grove. She said, when I heard that song, Doc singing it for me, I knew I was hearing. And I should preface this by saying I was really immersed in China at this point and studying the culture and really studying the language. When I heard Doc Watson, I felt like I heard the beauty of authentic American culture and I had been looking for it so badly. And I finally felt like I heard it when I heard Doc seeing this high, lonesome, searching, struggling, suffering, hopeful voice singing this ancient, ancient melody and these old, old words. And it didn't matter who owned it or where it came from, but this man was sharing it with me, and I knew, 
I had to get a banjo, and I had to learn Shady Grove. At this, her partner and fellow banjo player, Bela Fleck, offered that what Abigail heard was the truth. There was something in the notes, in the music, that sounded true. Bela had done some work exploring the original roots of the banjo in Africa, and specifically in Tanzania. Abigail, sharing what she learned from him, said, a lot of the slave masters figured out that if they had a banjo player on board playing music of home, more of the cargo would live to the other side. So the origins of the banjo in America are of the bitterest root. It formed an amazing origin to what became a blend of traditions from Africa, Ireland, and Scotland. Those banjo players in Africa and those fiddlers from Scotland and Ireland started playing plantation dances together. That's what we really started to know as that early Appalachian and that early American sound. That sound is based in this bitter root. But what this actual hope, this hope that I can live, that I can live, that I can survive, she said. The banjo has been playing in my ear as I've been praying through the texts from this morning. The bitter reality living under the Roman Empire is in the background of both John and of Acts. Violent militarily, economically, religiously, they didn't hesitate to make examples of anyone who threatened their rule. People didn't dare rise up or they would be killed. And those who had exchanged allegiance for some measure of power, privilege, and wealth offered another layer of security in maintaining the peace. Jesus, as part of this farewell to his disciples, offers them assurance. Even with the reality of the oppressive ruler, even though he is walking toward his death, he knows in his bones that God is with him, and he walks in freedom. His death does not mean Pax Romana has the last word. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not let them be afraid. Though he will soon depart from them, the Spirit will dwell with them and teach them and remind them of this peace. So one day they will know it. They might not know it now, but they will. And as they come to know God is with them, even in the midst of oppression, they also will walk in freedom. 
As followers of Christ, they are called into a community of solidarity as they work toward peace, this living that leads to life. They are called to serve and love one another, to wash one another's feet, breaking with the social order of the empire. They are called into being committed to mutual well-being, for there is a worse fate than death. In Reinhold Niebuhr's Leaves from the Book of a Tamed Cynic, a book of journal entries from his years in parish ministry before becoming the great theologian, a book that Tim noted in his class with us a few weeks ago. Niebuhr reflects in an entry from 1928 about the Jewish people, ancient Jews and contemporary Jews, people he is growing to know as a visitor to their temple. And in his appreciation of them, he says, the glory of their religion is that they are really not thinking so much of salvation as of a saved society. When I think of the communities of John's Gospel and of Acts, it seems to me they had a similar vision. When Paul goes to Philippi, a leading city of Macedonia and a Roman colony, with a vision of needing to help the people there, he meets Lydia. Now, depending on the scholar, you can get quite a different picture of who she was. There are those who see her as a slave owner, a member of the elite, complicit in the empire, and others who believe she was a slave, or at least a very poor woman, and would have been discriminated against and marginalized. Both sides make their arguments from the same piece of material, that she was a dealer in purple cloth. Whatever she was, it is her response to Paul that teaches me and adds dense or dimension to her purple cloth. Paul is in a Roman colony, a dangerous place for someone teaching another way of being, a place hostile toward Jews, including Christian Jews. Lydia's response to Paul, taking his words to heart, is to extend a welcome into her community, is to offer him solidarity, is to offer him shelter and a place of refuge. Her response to the Christ is to offer her home of purple cloth. They were to serve and love one another on their way toward peace. This is the teaching. How could Paul refuse her offering, this offering given even at risk of death? Sitting by the river, she is free. In her choosing solidarity, she was the subject of her own life, though the world would make her an object. 
Before Abigail Washburn, that banjo player, became a banjo player, she planned to become a lawyer in China. On a final road trip before moving there for law school, she made her way south. And her first stop was at the Berry Center for Buddhist Studies. She spent five days meditating. It was the first time she had meditated in her entire life. And she recounted, to this day, it was one of the hardest things I've ever done to sit still. My body ached. I became afraid I was hurting myself, and I went to the darkest place. And one day, I was sitting there, it must have been day three, and I went into this very deep place. And I came out of it hours later, and my entire shirt was covered with tears and snot. And in that moment, I stood up. No one was in the room. They had all left. I know that I had, to, I had let go of something major. I'm not even totally sure what it is to this day, but I know I no longer felt like a victim when I left that place. I felt like I was clean and fresh and pure, and I could make my decisions. And within days, I was in Louisville, Kentucky, playing the four songs I knew on the banjo and was offered a record deal in Nashville, Tennessee. I came to Nashville instead of going to China to go to law school, and I felt ready for that. I felt ready. She was free, with the sound based in a bitter root, but with this actual hope, this hope that I can live, that I can live, that I can survive. And with that freedom, she made her banjo and singing, her offering, as she traveled around the world, finding home, finding peace, in the meeting of hearts through song. Through song that carried truth, she joined in the tradition of making that high, lonesome sound, and she was coming to a place somewhere beautiful. After a devastating earthquake in China, Abigail reached out to a woman there who first made her fall in love with the country. Abigail asked what she could do to help, and the woman suggested that she come and play music for the children who were living in a school, having lost their families. So she went. And one day, a little girl whose mother had died came up to Abigail and said, Big sister, I want to sing a song my mom taught me. So Abigail sat down. The little girl sat on her lap and began singing her mother's song the song she used to sing her on her porch at home. And tears began streaming down the little girl's face. And listening to her sing her song, holding her in her lap, 
Abigail began weeping with her, singing this high, lonesome, searching, struggling, suffering, hopeful voice, singing this ancient, ancient melody and these old, old words. I knew I had to get a banjo and I had to learn that song. Each time I gather with this community at 7th Avenue, I take courage, as there are others who are also trying to learn the song of home, a song I often need reminding of when my heart tangles with the bitter root. It is in community, Catherine Doherty reminds us, in the meeting of the eyes of one another we find the icon of Christ. We find peace and our way home in one another. <laughs>